Hey, I'm Jeanette, professional ballerina and soloist with Bearish Stotts Ballet. And I'm Min, a non-professional adult ballet beginner and the boss lady at Club and Victory Dancewear. And this is Blab Swans, a podcast where we talk about all things ballet related. Basically, we came up with this idea for a podcast since we've been word vomiting voice messages to each other about ballet and lots of other things. So we decided, why not just start a podcast? And we plan on incorporating our own interests into the podcast and speaking from our own experiences and opinions as a professional dancer and as a non-professional adult dancer. So it's meant to be a casual and fun kind of space, and we hope you enjoy our premiere episode. We're bowing. You just can't see it. Feel free to throw roses at us. guys, welcome to another episode of Blab Swans with me, Min from Cloud of Victory and Jeanette Kakareka, who is a, yes, my professional ballerina friend. <laughs> I say this as if I'm hosting the podcast, but I'm not. Um, but today we are going to be talking about eating disorders in ballet. And it's kind of interesting because um, we don't, we're not we don't fit in the stereotypical like ballet world eating disorder more <laughs> that people would think in the sense that Jeanette is a professional ballerina, but she's yes. never had an eating disorder. No. I'm the one who's had the eating disorder, but it wasn't because of ballet and ballet actually <laughs> helped me recover from it. So we just kind of thought it would be like an interesting conversation to have. Yes. It's not, not maybe what well, we don't fit the mold. <laughs> No, when, we're not, um, was it Natalie Portman in Black Swan or whatever? <laughs> her mom wouldn't let her eat the cake. <laughs> and I want to, what was she say? That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's an interesting thing for me because like I said, ballet was something that helped me get out of an eating disorder. Um, it's kind of weird like having to revisit it because it was almost like nine, nine years ago. Um, so kind of what happened was that I... Uh, was never a very good student growing up and I had really so low self-esteem because of that. Like in Singapore, I just didn't fit into the school system. So when I went to Australia, I did a year of pre-university there and I did really well. Um, and I got into like the best university, qualified for like the best universities in Melbourne. And I was mm-hmm. like, I want to be a journalist because that's my dream. And my parents were kind of like, yeah, but we don't want you to, like, go to Bosnia and get blown up because that's the kind of journalist I wanted to be. And so they were like, why don't you go to law school, wow. you know? Um, it's like, lawyers can become journalists. And because, like, I hadn't done well in school before, I was like, yeah, it's kind of prestigious. I'll go to law school. And I also do political science because that's two degrees, so that's double the prestige. And I like polit- politics. So, like... I was like all like excited and hopeful because I was like, I finally made it, you know, I finally got into university, even though I thought I was like a real, like not cut out for it. And so I went in there and it was like a big shock to be like around all these like people in law school who were like super like smart and super competitive and like basically were just basically some of the smartest kids in Australia. And I really struggled with that and was trying to like figure out how to basically like become like the best survive but also become like make my parents proud by doing well in school and so it's interesting like talking about this because that's kind of how my eating disorder started it was very insidious so it kind of started with like okay um I read this article that 
Um, if you like start exercising, um, it helps you to like gives you more energy to like think better and stuff like that. And then also, if you start like eating healthily, like eating bananas, you get potassium, and that helps you study. So that's kind of like I'm gonna. I decided I'm gonna start like being healthier because this is gonna help me like improve my grades. And also, right. like I realized that my family had like a history of like heart problems, so I was also like, and my dad was pre-diabetic, so I was like, I want to also eat healthier because I don't want to get diabetes and not be able to eat cake. So it was like this like whole thing about like trying to get healthier for various reasons, and then the thing was that like, I was basically like try to eat healthy and exercise and also like study more. So there seemed to be like a correlation in the end when I started to like adjust to university where. My grades went up. The more like healthy I was getting, and I sort of lost some weight from there. And then you know you weigh yourself, and it's like, oh, that looks good. Let's kind of keep going. And so right. for me, because there was this, they end up being this correlation between like how much I was studying, how much I was exercising, and how little I was eating. Um, I thought, okay, so I have to keep doing this and being more extreme about it, and that's gonna help me like be a better student and improve my grades. And so I just ended up living this like really monk-like and terrible existence where I would eat like a set amount of calories, spend all my time studying, and I wasn't studying. I was exercising, or I was walking away everywhere, and I was moving. And for me, and I think a lot of dancers will relate to this. It was me convincing myself that I had to live this like hyper-disciplined lifestyle in order to achieve what I wanted to. Like if I wasn't this disciplined about every aspect of my life, I wouldn't be able to like get the grades I needed and be a good student. Um, so, right. um, you know, it kind of was like a gradual decline into that. Um, I think by the end of like, it was only I think it only was got really bad for like a year. My parents could see I lost I lost weight. I was very depressed um, when I went back to Singapore um, for my semester break. Um, like after like my second last year of school, they could tell there was a problem, but we didn't know I was eating disorder. They just thought it was depression. Um, I went to see like a a couple of doctors actually to like figure out what was wrong with me. Um, but I never got diagnosed properly with anorexia, which is what I had because I wasn't um, underweight according to the BMI, and that's one of the criteria for anorexia diagnosis. Like even though I hadn't had my period wow, for six really? months, wow, really? Yeah, I hadn't had my period for six months. I was like eating like a very small amount of food and exercising a lot. It was because I didn't fit into like this criteria called the DSM five criteria for anorexia, so I didn't get diagnosed properly. Went back to school, oh. lasted about two months. Finally lost, I say finally, but like finally lost a bunch more weight until I was underweight, and then I went back to Singapore and got diagnosed properly, and that's kind of how I started like my recovery. Um, wow! And yeah, so it was a thing. Um, and I guess, like, very briefly, because I don't know how much we should be getting into it now. But um, for me, I think ballet ended up being very helpful for my recovery journey because um, it came at a time where I was beginning my recovery and I was trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life to enjoy myself. Because the thing about being in university and living that hyper-disciplined life is that, like, I had. I convinced myself that depriving myself of everything I enjoyed was a sign that I was disciplined. And so um, I just happened to walk by a ballet school. They had they had just opened on that day, and I was like, I always wanted to do ballet. Went in, signed up for a, a whole semester of classes. Um, 
started doing them and I think just had met really nice people there who didn't talk about their bodies and was doing some, you know, beginner's ballet where it's not like super tiring. So it just like first position and pre, so it wasn't super taxing. So that was like helpful when you're malnourished. And also kind of realizing that um, if I wanted to enjoy doing ballet, I had to eat because if not, I just wouldn't have energy to do it. And I think for me, I mean, in a very brief nutshell, that was kind of how ballet helped me get out of um, my eating disorder because it gave me a lot of friends in that sense and helped me come out of my shell of being so scared, um, of being judged for having this eating disorder and also just learning um, how to enjoy myself and what I needed to do to enjoy myself and the thing that I needed to do was to like recover. So yeah. So then, yeah, so you're saying that like ballet was kind of like your community that made you feel safe. But beforehand, like when you were saying that you um, went back finally to Singapore and you'd lost then enough weight that they realized there was an issue but like Mm -hmm. inside like yourself at what point did you I'm assuming at some point you realized yourself that this isn't right this isn't just about being disciplined to get better grades and it's I've taken it too far like in an unhealthy direction like how did you realize that yourself assuming you Um. did I think it was kind of this thing at the back of my mind where I was like, I knew something was wrong. Um, but I convinced myself that it wasn't like, I couldn't have an eating disorder. Um, because I was like, I don't, I don't even know I should say that. I'm not going to say the number of calories I was eating because I don't want to put anybody's ideas into anybody's head. But I was like, I'm still eating like X amount of calories. Like, it was over a thousand. I was like, I'm still eating over a thousand calories. I'm not, like, eating a lettuce leaf every day, which is, like, the stereotype you think when it comes to anorexia, which is what I experienced with. So I was like, therefore, I can't have an eating disorder, you know? And then, like, when I went to the... And then when I went to, like, the doctor, I think I kind of knew something was wrong, and I just wanted somebody to acknowledge that... that you do have an eating problem and you do need to eat because like I couldn't admit it to myself because you I'm so I was so afraid of that by that point of giving myself permission to eat like I felt like I couldn't give myself permission to eat and all I kind of wanted was that permission so it was only like and I think a lot of people with anorexia kind of struggle with this too it was only like after I had like a doctor tell me like a medical doctor tell me you have um an eating disorder I need to recover. That's when I could tell myself, yes, I have this. And I think that's the thing about like having an eating disorder is because you always feel like you're not good enough. So there's also a sense that like I'm not good enough to have an eating disorder. Like I'm not starving myself enough. You know what I'm it's very oh, it's right, a very okay. rough thinking. But it's that uh-huh. constant feeling that you're never good enough for it. Good enough for anything. So it's like I'm not even like eating as little as possible to have an eating disorder. I'm not even thin enough to have an eating disorder. That's the kind of thing you tell yourself in your head. Um, so, yeah, for wow. me, it was it was always kind of knowing. I think it was like the slow realization at the back of my head that I knew something was wrong, but really just needing to hear it, desperately needing to hear it from a medical professional. Like somebody who I thought had 
more knowledge and qualifications about it to tell me that because I couldn't trust myself. Right. Okay. I mean, uh, in a way that does make sense. I mean, it's um, not a nice way of thinking that like you're not even good enough. You're not even eating little enough to have an eating disorder. That's quite scary. But I guess um, I can understand, though, that, you know, you need like that outside qualified person to tell you something to give yourself the permission. Um, So one of the things that also uh, we kind of talked about before we started was talking about how Bali is too demanding. It's not possible to have an eating disorder and and do ballet long term Mm, and I know that you said just now that like you did ballet after you know in a recovery kind of situation um and you also said like you wanted to get stronger in order to be able to do ballet and enjoy it um Mm. but okay so you weren't doing ballet at the time but I would think that that's not true uh that ballet is too demanding like it's not possible for people to have eating disorders like that's a um, dangerous thing for people to say right because that was also something that I used to think when I was young and I didn't realize how severe things could be I don't know like for your studies and Um, everything how it felt for you I mean the thing is that like I think what people don't realize is like yeah you know people will say ballet is too demanding like if you have like an like anorexia if you're malnourished. Um, I'm speaking for anorexia because I have no experience with uh, binge purge, like bulimia. So I'm speaking with somebody who's had anorexia and this thing called orthorexia, which is like a healthy eating taken to an extreme. Um, the thing is that like your mind can make you do a lot that like the brain is a very powerful organ. I mean, I can tell you that even though I wasn't doing ballet, I was even though I hadn't had my period for six months and was very malnourished, like, exercising like crazy. Like, I would walk everywhere, like, to and from school, which is, like, a couple of kilometers um, with, like, my laptop and all my books. And then I would come back every day. I would eat, like, one very thin slice of bread and that, and then go exercise for two hours. You know? It's like the, wow. the bread was just there, there to keep me from fainting. Like... You can will yourself, you're like, the brain is a very powerful thing. And that's why you can will yourself to starve. And that's why you can will yourself to like, push on and do everything. Like, yeah, I got a law degree with like, when I was severely malnourished and like exercising like crazy. And like, honestly, if I was healthier, it would have made it a lot easier. Um, because uh, yeah, like I'm seven- sure. Yeah, you can't really Full concentrate capacity. properly. <laughs> yeah, you can't think properly when you're like anorexic. But it's just like this this thing of sheer willpower. You just force yourself to do stuff. And I think it's the same thing with like ballet dancers who are like malnourished. It's like you don't, it's really just forcing yourself to do it. You may not enjoy it. You may feel like you want to die. Um, but like you just make yourself do it. And like the endorphins kick in and that definitely helps you. Um but I, I think that the idea that, like, a ballet or anything is too demanding for you to, like, be have an eating disorder and do it well is completely a myth. There are um, Olympic gymnasts who've won gold medals while malnourished and anorexic. And you just think to yourself, how much more or how much better could they have done if they were completely healthy? 
or even right. not or even um you know like Olympic gymnasts who've won while like having eating disorders but I think the thing to realize is that like people think that you need to live this restrictive lifestyle to like achieve these things whereas it's not true um like I said it's the thing where you think about how much more you can do when you're healthier but also um I remember reading stories of like Olympic gymnasts who like talked about having disordered eating while they were doing the Olympics and the thing is that like they didn't they don't really have very good memories of their Olympic experience. They're like, they won the gold medal, but then they're like, I don't really like to think about this thing. Or I don't even remember it because like, there was so much unpleasantness associated with it that like, they almost just don't want to revisit the, this once in a lifetime incredible experience that you've trained for. That's such a shame. But I I do remember hearing, um, again, it's like, I, it's hard sometimes to approach this subject with people, but I do remember um, people saying before who have recovered from eating disorders that, yeah, it's like they don't have a memory of Ooh. several years or whatever just because it they were so malnourished and um, that also it is like all this negativity that you, I guess, you don't really want to remember. So that Ooh. is really sad to think that, yeah, you would be like winning a gold medal and you don't even really remember how you got there because of how you were treating yourself at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, I know somebody who, um, who danced, who, like, um, achieved a lot in, like, ballet, and, you know, she struggled with an eating disorder, and I remember talking to her, and she was telling me, she said, I have everything I want, but I'm so unhappy. And it's because, you know, you're, it's not just about being, you're, I mean, the thing about being, having like something like anorexia is that you're starving, you're depressed, you're depriving yourself, you're miserable. Um, and so you think that, um, how do I put this? It's the thing I think we talked about previously in like the body image episode where you think that, you know, having all these external metrics for achievements will make you happy. And that's the same thing in petting eating disorder. You think that if I just get to a lower weight and get to a lower weight and also achieve more things in these other sex areas that I will you know, everything will be worth it in the end because it will help me achieve my goal. But then it comes to the point where you sacrifice so much of yourself for that goal that when you achieve it, it's just completely hollow and empty and you realize that, like, this doesn't feel as good as I thought it's, as I thought it would. This achievement that I killed myself for doesn't feel good, doesn't make me feel good. And then you think that you have to achieve even more to get that feeling. So you're perpetually chasing a feeling or like an achievement which you're never going to get because you don't realize that like because you're so deeply unhappy and unhealthy inside no matter what you achieve external what you achieve externally will never make up and make you feel good yeah um that makes sense i mean the thing is is that as much as it's good to have outside goals and to have uh things to look forward to and like you want to get here or there or whatever it's actually um a lot about the journey as well so if you're in this um situation where you're so deeply unhappy uh and then it's kind of like perpetuating more goals that you'll still be unhappy once you achieve them you know that's dangerous and also we only brought up the whole idea that you know you can be doing ballet and you can be doing these um amazing things while having an eating disorder it's not 
you know, it, we're saying this because it's a dangerous thing to say um, that if somebody's a professional or somebody is doing this, there's no way they can have an eating disorder. They must be yeah. fine. That's why we bring it up because that's not true. Mm. Um, just for a little clarification. Yeah, because they are, you know, I think um, it's definitely a thing for elite athletes, especially elite female athletes. Um, you get, and ballet included, because ballet is so athletic, you have people, not just gymnastics, but ballet, but like other Olympic sports or like tennis players who achieve great things while having an eating disorder. And it doesn't mean that they're healthy. It doesn't mean that they're happy. And I think what people don't realize is that, um, again, there is a, uh, you know, you may think it's worth it now, but like, you know, when we said the achievement is hollow, because even though you've achieved it and you're unhappy, it doesn't mean anything. But also, it takes its toll on you down the line, because like having an eating disorder, being malnourished, say if you're not having your period, that affects like, um, it actually affects your performance as a ballet dancer because you have your malnourished, you have no power, you have more, you don't your your bones are less dense because you're not getting enough nourishment and that puts you at like a higher risk of getting injuries. You don't have your period, so that like messes up your hormones. And then like in terms of anorexia, and this is like very warped because people think that the less I eat, the lower the weight I can maintain. But what people don't realize is that the less you eat, the less you can eat because then like, how do I put this? When you eat very little, your body... You know, we we're talking about how our brain and our body can like push ourselves to adapt. So your body just adapts to like being able to function at the best possible level with as little food as possible. And what it is is that it slows down your metabolism a lot. So like the less you eat, the less you can eat because your body just keeps slowing down your metabolism to be able to keep you dancing or just going out by your day and doing sports or whatever you do. And so like the longer you have, you deprive yourself of food, the more and more you screw up your metabolism and the slower your metabolism will go and then the less you can eat. So I would imagine that then if someone's had um, a long-term eating disorder, then that even if they're able to manage to recover from it, it would still have lasting effects for the rest of their life. Um, I mean, I think the thing, and this is why like recovery is really important, is that the longer you have an eating disorder for, the chances, the harder it is to recover, not just psychologically, but physically too. But mm. that doesn't mean that you don't, you can't recover. Okay. I mean, I don't want to like scare people and be like, no, you'll be screwed up forever because that's not true. But I think that's why it's important. And I always say this, like, if you think you have a problem, you probably do and you should get help as soon as possible. Because the longer you leave it, then the harder it is, the longer it takes for your body to recover, like physically and mentally. Um, and I think part of that is also, I mean, just speaking um, from, I mean, I'm going to say like at, from the physical part, I'm more or less recovered physically. Um, I will say that the lasting effect that um, having an eating disorder gave me was that I have I had an, I have uh, anemia now before my period so I have to take iron tablets beforehand mm. um, but it's also because I'm still very active but it's definitely a thing that I did not have before my eating disorder um, I think my metabolism is fine um, reproductive health it's all good down there um, <laughs> but you know physically speaking you know you do live with some effects of it but it's not like I mean I know that again I keep bringing up I keep talking about gymnasts more than ballet dancers because gymnasts 
tend to talk about it a bit more. Uh-huh. But like I know that some gymnasts who struggle with, you know, disordered eating, um, they do worry. I mean, a big issue for them is worrying about whether they could have children again. And, you know, they can. But it's definitely something that people worry about when you realize how much it can affect your body. Yeah. And like mentally, um, it's almost something that you kind of have to deal with for a long like on I was say eating restrictively for a year uh, I mean it was really bad for a year it maybe was like a year and a half that I really started to like get into this health thing but like it was only really bad for a year but I spent what eight seven years getting out of it um and that's a lot to do with the fact that I think people don't realize what people have to recognize is that like when you have anorexia it's not because like you're a bad person it's a lot to do with the fact that it's partly your genetics it's partly how you were raised it's a lot to do with your life experiences and like the traumas that you have and Mm -hmm. traumas can be big things like say losing a loved one to get into an accident or they could just be like small things like I know for me a lot of my traumas just came from the fact that um I always kind of felt like I was never good enough for my family and um coupled with the fact that I was a perfectionist and I have high-functioning Asperger's. And it was not that I was not raised in a loving family. It's just that, you know, things just happen to you. Um, And so, like, an eating disorder is, like, not an issue in itself. It's, like, a symptom of a bigger issue. And I think that's important for people to realize that, like, having an eating disorder doesn't mean... Or having disordered eating does not mean that you're screwed up in any way. It just means that, you know, there are some things in your life that affected you very deeply. Right. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Um, and also, when you were coming back, you said that you were seeing a dietitian, mm. correct? Uh, so, yeah. how helpful were they for you? Um, I guess, <laughs> honestly, like, my dietitian, I went to, like, an eating disorder recovery clinic, and I okay. would say that the only helpful person was the dietitian. Oh, Okay. Because my dietitian was like, like, I have I told you the story before. I think I have, which is that like she was had she had me on a meal plan, like eating more food. Uh-huh. I'm gonna tell you, like when you're starving, tell, like hearing that you have to eat three meals and three snacks a day is like the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I think the one thing that she told me, which left me a lasting impression, was that like. I, like I said, I had orthorexia, so I was very obsessed with healthy eating. Uh-huh. And so, like, when I would see her, I would ask her all these things about, like, what's the nutrition value of this food? What's the nutrition value of that food? Is it good for me? Is it is that good for me? Is that bad for me? And I think that's something dancers can relate to, where it's like, you just want to be putting in, like, the best food possible into your body right. to, like, make you, like, the healthiest, best performing person ever. Right. And then so, like, I asked her, like, what is the nutrition value of this, like, steamed rib in rib? bun i'm like it's just carbs and sugar like is that healthy for me can i eat it and then she looked at me and she's like do you like eating this food and i was like yeah i do does it make you happy yes it does and she said and that's what it does that's a nutrition value it gives you happiness and happiness is a nutrient very good so like i had a very i i had a very good dietitian and then i upgraded to like to like better psychologists and i changed the doctor so like i got rid of that part yeah okay yeah, I mean... Yeah, did you... Yeah, sorry, you were saying? I. It's just uh, the only... The only um, times I really dealt with a dietitian, and I know that, like, they definitely can be really helpful, but, like, 
on a like not one-on-one basis but like in person experience they were always at these like summer intensives and i think they were supposed to be or maybe not always summer intensives but it was like in a school situation a large group Mm. and they were supposed to be like really helpful i guess and i think that it was a Mm. way that they were trying to like help students not feel like they had to um get into like disordered eating that they were able to like eat nutritious food and be healthy and be happy and stuff so i know that Mm. like the idea was good but i really remember the only thing i took away from one of our dietitians and i think i also might have told you the story was like this one summer intensive in san francisco california was the dietitian telling us that like half no, no no it was like a quarter of an avocado a day is enough that's like your entire serving for the uh. entire day and i remember it was like a literal uproar in the room because people were so mad because like <laughs> people loved avocados like i don't know why but in san francisco like avocados are everywhere you it's get a, avocado smoothie you get avocado breakfast it's lunch, a very dinner. west coast yeah. It's just like the West Coast stereotype, doesn't it? It like is. The sunshine, avocados, <laughs> smoothies. They push the avocados a lot. And like, <laughs> so I remember particularly this one guy, and I think he, I've mentioned it before, and then he laughed about it because he also remembers this, but he was like so mad. He was like, I eat an avocado a day. Like, I don't know. It was really funny. It was a good time. But yeah, I don't think I really took anything away from any of my dietitian experiences besides them trying to guilt us into eating less avocados which i didn't like i mean i was gonna ask you about that did you ever find that the dietitians were more like harmful than helpful what was your experience because like i said i've had medical profession i went to a right. sort of specialized clinic mm-hmm. and i mean like i'll talk about i'll talk about it a little bit more after this but like uh-huh. i definitely had professionals who were like not helpful yeah i mean i don't want to like go on the record and but the point is i don't remember who all they were but i'm pretty sure that i heard some very weird stuff that was not helpful um and i think almost made me question my choices even though i think i was eating pretty like a normal human and it made me question it like oh am i not being healthy enough (laughs) so i don't know i'm not sure that they were helpful (laughs) I mean, I think that's the that's like the the dangerous thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, the thing about eating disorder is that yeah, it's you maybe restricting yourself or binging and purging, but a lot of it can be triggered by something small like that, like hearing from a professional mm-hmm. that like oh, avocados are bad or or something, you know. And then right. like you know, when we're talking about like as a dancer, you want to give yourself every possible chance of succeeding. So you're like, okay, I'm just gonna like. Yeah not eat avocados anymore because they're gonna like it's too much for me it's unhealthy and then maybe that's like a slippery slope into like not even just an eating disorder but like disordered eating right and i think it's like very important to kind of be mindful of that that just because somebody is in a position of authority it doesn't mean that i'm not saying that they're not qualified but it doesn't mean that what they're saying is necessarily right for you Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean like i said i had to go through i went to a specialist clinic I didn't get diagnosed properly at first, even though I was ill. Um, my psych- I think my psychologist there had tra- transference issues because she kept saying things like, I see a lot of myself in you. And like when your therapist says that, that's like not a good thing. Yeah. It's not. That doesn't seem <laughs> you know? very professional. No. Um, 
And like um, the doctor that kept trying to put me in like group recovery classes and things. And I think almost like the good, I don't say good thing, but like the benefit of me having an eating disorder when I was like over my 20s is that in some sense, I kind of knew what I needed to do to recover. And for uh-huh. me, it was like putting me in a group eating situation or a group cooking class with a bunch of like 16 year old girls who are all comparing themselves to each other is not going to be healthy. Yeah, right. Because like that's the thing about having an eating disorder. It's like you want to make sure you're eating the least out of everybody else because right. it's like a comparison thing. It's like if I'm eating less... That means I'm, like, doing the doing best. Doing the best. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, like... And it's I knew it was it's going to be this thing where, like, you're cheering on your friends to get better, but secretly you also want them to be gaining more weight than you or whatever. It's this really warped thinking. Right. And I was, like... I knew that wasn't... It might be helpful for some other people, like, 16-year-old kids who needed to be around people their age. But for me, I was, like, I'm, like, seven years older than these people. It's not going to be up for me because I know what's it going to be like. And it was honestly a lot of um, having eating disorder, like I said, is not trusting yourself. And I'm really glad that I did trust myself in that aspect to know that there were certain things that were not healthy for me. And I mean, beyond like talking about ED, I think that's really important for like people to realize that just because somebody's in a position of authority, it doesn't mean that what they're telling you is necessarily the best thing for you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's also true with, like, mental health stuff beyond um, eating disorders. Um, even if somebody thinks that you're fine or you've you've gotten better or whatever it is, like, it's always good to have a check with yourself, too, and know if you're okay or not, I guess. Yeah, I mean, because it, it really is all a process of learning to trust yourself, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Like, I didn't trust myself to be able to listen to my body to feed it properly or to be able to trust myself to say that I would be able to, like, pick up my with my studies and figure it out for myself. So I put, I think we were talking about in the previous episode, lots of external metrics. So I relied on these uh-huh. external metrics, how much I was jogging, how little I was eating, how many hours of work I was putting in, because I just didn't trust myself to, like, listen to my, my body or listen to my brain. Right. Um, did you ever get weight? Sorry, Sigrid, but did you ever get weighed in in like ballet no. school? No, we were never oh, like that intense. <laughs> that would have messed with us so bad. No, we never did that. I don't think that's like a very American school situation. I'm not saying nobody Is has, it? but like, I not that I know of in America. Right. That sounds. Oh, that's a good thing. Like another continent. <laughs> their problem which i don't know but like in your experience and you know just bringing the conversation back to like how this applies to ballet mm. um like do you see a lot of eat people with again not naming names but have you seen a lot of people struggling with eating disorders or even if not full-blown eating disorders do you see people struggling a lot with disordered eating in ballet because i feel like that's kind of a th- I mean, I feel like it's an issue. I think it's an issue everywhere with diet culture, but, you know, it's in an industry like ballet where, like I said, we're all perfectionists and we want to give, you want to give yourself every chance of succeeding. I feel like that could be an issue, you know, something yeah. in the industry. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, like, in the the body image episode as well, like, just that it is um, normal that people feel like they need to 
perfect every aspect um, of themselves to succeed. I mean, it's hard because I think with eating disorders, you never know. Like, it's like you Mm. were saying that you were misdiagnosed. They didn't realize you had a problem just because you hadn't lost this crazy amount of weight yet, you know? Um, So I guess it's hard to say because when you look at people externally, you don't really know about their lives. Um, And especially now in, like, a company environment, like, I'm not around for them to eat their meals. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not Mm. watching people. We're all adults. Um, But at the same time, like, through the years that I've spent in various places, I definitely feel like there's people who I think haven't always been healthy and that, like, I worry about other people worry about um there's been issues where like we've actually not me personally but i've known people have gone to like more of the upper ups to discuss Mm. that they feel like a dancer's unhealthy and Mm. say like i don't i don't think they're okay Mm. i'm not sure if it came to anything at all um, because mm. I think sometimes people don't want to get involved, uh, for various reasons. I think sometimes, like, for political reasons, they don't want to, like, stick their nose in something that's not there. I mean... They think it's I mean, not their fair. position. I mean, that's fair enough. Like, for me, um, even as somebody who's had, like, an eating disorder, um, you know, you always... Sometimes I look at people, I mean, how do I put this? Generally speaking, maybe it's, and I think it's probably harder for ballet dancers, but generally speaking, with like the normal human population, I can, mm-hmm. after having like anorexia, I can look at somebody and can kind of tell whether they're like naturally lean or they have like an eating problem. Mm-hmm. And it's like not just the way they look, but how they dress and how they walk and certain things. So like, I have seen people on the street or, like, in restaurants where I was like, I'm pretty sure she has an eating disorder. Like, I'm 99% sure. And because I've been through it before, all I want to do is honestly go up to them and, like, tell them what I wish somebody had told me, which is just that it's okay to eat. But I second-guess myself because I'm like, I don't know their story, so I don't know if I should. You yeah. know, so it's it's really hard to to talk to somebody about it because you don't want to be insulting them or second-guessing them. So I, I can understand that because, like I said, even with somebody who's gone through it before, yeah. you know, you don't want to, like, offend people or presume to know their story. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, in a school environment, it's a bit different, particularly, like, a boarding school where, like, there are supposed to be adults uh, mm. in charge and they should be actually paying attention and that is their job. Um to take care of people but like as an adult in a company environment it is a bit different and then also you know we had mentioned it's not just about like full-blown eating disorders it's about disordered eating so Mm. i mean i think that's even more prevalent probably um in i mean our community (laughs) i mean do you think i don't know i think different companies have a different approach to it but like i almost i don't know how, how do I articulate this? But sometimes I feel like, and if, feel free to correct me if I'm completely wrong, but sometimes I feel like companies like don't really take action until unless it's like really, really obvious that it's an issue or really extreme. If not, sometimes they're just like, I mean, she's, she can dance. Yeah. 
It's one leg or whatever. She must be fine. Right. I mean, again, it's like, I don't know because I would think, um, of course, people talk amongst each other about anything, right? Mm. But I am sure that there's quite a lot of conversations that people keep to themselves. So if somebody did have somewhat of an issue and maybe the company did come to them about it, I'm not sure they would necessarily share it. Mm. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, for me, I was, like, kind of on the opposite end that when I was growing up, um, I got a lot of that kind of stuff put on me because I was growing really fast and um, Mm. I was already thin and lean anyway and then I was growing and I probably didn't look so good sometimes. But, like, it was not – I was not trying to do this. Do you know what I mean? And then I got it put on me and it freaked me out and it actually gave me a lot of anxiety about eating. Um, because then I felt like I had to prove want, something. Because you don't want people to think that you were anorexic. Right. So then I actually... people are making fun of you for it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. People really, um, well, in public school, people, like, full-blown made fun of me for it. Um, they, like, thought I was too skinny and small and, like, I wasn't developing fast enough compared to all the other girls right. at middle school. Um, yeah. and so that was a small trauma for me, was getting called out for being very different looking than the other girls um but yeah even in school like it was a again a small trauma for me that like i felt like people were putting their like what they saw so that's why i'm very afraid to like say things because just because you think that someone oh they're very skinny that doesn't mean that they have a problem but then again it can be the reverse that somebody maybe you don't think necessarily looks ill but like they can have a problem so i'm afraid to like um, put that out there sometimes for myself yeah um but i guess the difference is that like we're i guess in the company and i can understand because especially um I think it's like you said, it's a bit different in company life because you're all adults and you're supposed yeah. to be responsible for your own well being and you don't want to like interfere with somebody's lives. But at the same time, these presuppositions don't just come about because you see that your colleagues like particularly like tiny looking. It's probably because like you observe their behavior over a period of time and you notice like some things are a bit off here and there. Right. Um, and so yeah. I guess it's like difficult to to be able to tell when to speak up and when to not. But at the same time, I feel like just having a conversation with somebody like hey you know are you is everything okay are you okay without actually saying you know being super confidential like i think you have eating disorder but like hey maybe something is are you okay like i noticed that maybe you lost some weight i just want to or you know you seem a bit off you know maybe just having opening the door for them to be able to talk about it with you might be helpful because i mean the thing about having an eating disorder, and I think, you know, when you talked about, um, asked me about how, when did I know I had the problem, is that it's, that it's that thing, it's like, I didn't know. And, you know, it's one of the things that you don't want to admit to yourself when you're sick. Yeah. And it's, and it's not something that you can help sometimes because, like, nobody wants to be starving and miserable, you know. Um, it's just that um, when your brain is starving, you're conditioned to think in a certain way. And that way is very irrational because you are basically completely malnourished and nutrient deprived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, even if you think you have a problem, you don't want to admit it or you just, even if you want to get out of it, you don't know how. Because like for me, I had convinced myself that like, I had to live my whole life like this. And that's why I became very depressed. I was like, I just kind of looked out at this stretch. I remember that that was like 
the impetus for me to recover it was like I just kind of visualized my life and I was like it's gonna be this completely miserable life where all I do is like work very hard or study very hard exercise a lot and be hungry and tired and miserable all the time yeah and I was like I can either do that or I can get better and I was like no I can either do that or I can kill myself or I can get better I was like okay I'm gonna choose to get better but it's really the thing where it's like you it takes and even when I decided that I couldn't recover by myself I still didn't give myself the permission to acknowledge that I had an eating disorder I still had to go and see a doctor because it was like I knew I had a problem I but I couldn't get out of it myself I couldn't even bring myself to acknowledge the problem because that's just how irrational my brain was and I think that and honestly that's a very normal thing to happen when like I said you're completely malnourished right so I mean it it does kind of make you feel like um at least for me, I do wish that maybe, like, more people could speak to their loved ones a bit or, like, close friends, like, if they could notice that something is wrong. But I guess if, you know, you're not able to really see it for yourself clearly in a way that you feel like, okay, I really should get help. Um, yeah, it kind of makes me feel like I wish more people could get help from the outside. Not, like, again, like, not confrontationally, but just... Um, have a conversation that's uh in like caring for the person like asking if they're okay or not and i think it's kind of difficult because like you said you don't want to offend somebody yeah but that's also where caring for them comes from because you have to almost be willing to put the relationship on the line because the person might not be like if the person's not ready to recover or ready to hear it they might get really upset with you right um, and, you know, I think that is the big fear is that you don't want to mess up a relationship you have. But sometimes you realize that, like, maybe you have to talk about it with the person, with a person that you really care about and put that at stake. Because if some, if you think somebody's health is at stake, I think that... That's and more you important really than care for that person. Yeah, but it's, like I said, it's, like, totally easier said than done, you know? Yeah. Totally easier said than done. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think, of course, like with anybody, you always like try to rationalize it. You don't really want to think that um, somebody that you care about is struggling like that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's like a very tricky situation, like you said, especially for ballet dancers, where you're always trying to find that balance between um, looking fit and lean and... Um, you know, again, because ballet is aesthetic, as much as we wish that it was more about health, but it's that balance between like looking fit and lean enough, but also being healthy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it almost feels like the thing. And I mean, I don't know if it's bad for me to say this, but it's almost like sometimes I feel like people close an eye to it and be like, like you said, oh, she's dancing, so like, she's fine. Yeah. You know? Um, but I think actually that's something I want to talk mention a bit too. I find really important is that some people think, you know, you may look at a person and think that, oh, they're doing so well in, in ballet. And like, say, let's just give her a random name. Like Cheryl came back from her summer intensive and she lost some weight. And but and she's also doing so well. And so you think to yourself, oh, she's doing well because she lost weight. And suddenly uh-huh. like maybe her jumps are lighter and stuff. <clears throat> but the thing is that like improved athletic performance or improved ballet, you know, performance in your job is really the right it's really about just about what you weigh maybe she lost weight because 
um, she was cross-training more and doing conditioning and that helped her. Maybe she was eating a more balanced diet and that's why, or even getting more sleep and that's why, like, her performance improved. Yeah. So it's not, it's not about, like, I lost weight, therefore I do better. It's very rarely the case. It's, like, the stuff around it that maybe led her to being a more complete or a healthier person. So guys, we only intended for this to be one single episode, but it turns out you're going to get a two-parter, mostly for logistical reasons, because Jeanette had to run off to a company class midway through um, us recording this. I think that's why she got a little bit quiet at the end, because she was very mindful that she had to get ready for class. And also, because on my part, um, this was the first episode that we were recording um, during daytime, my time, um, I usually record at night. So I was in my office today and uh, my family came in and, you know, were doing things around. So there was a lot of ambient noise and we had to cut off the last part of this episode. So yes, you can stay tuned for a second part of us word vomiting about eating disorders. Um, for the second epi- second part, sorry, not second episode, we're going to be focusing more on recovery. If there's anything you'd like us to address, um, please just let us know, maybe just DM us at the Blabswans Instagram account at Blabswans or you can leave a comment on one of our Instagram posts on the Blabswans account. You know, we're happy to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy. And if you notice, um, the audio on our uh, podcast has improved because we both um, leveled up and got new mics. So I hope you guys are enjoying the increased uh, audio clarity and are able to hear us better. So thanks for listening and we'll see you at the next episode. Bye. Bye.